It's time for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Teolos. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com, past episodes, subscriptions, and more. You can find us on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, at Pinball Profile. And you can email us, pinballprofile at gmail.com. Off to Colorado right now. Why should I be the only one stuck in the snow? There are others. I know I'm up in Canada, but they've got their share, and they've had a lot lately. In Colorado, Dave Pez Johnson joins us right now. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks very much for inviting me. I enjoy watching you on Twitch, Pez Johnson. It's something you've been doing for almost two years now. You started when COVID happened. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it was. I had the equipment. I kind of thought about doing it ahead of time. I got to say a, a kind of a big thanks to Snow Galvin and her husband, Paul Preston, at Colorado Pinball Collective on Twitch. And they kind of gave me the bug. They had covered the North American ifpa championship and the pin masters in march of 2020 right before covid had shut down and i helped out with the broadcast by moving the rig by doing some commentating and then to give paul a break while he was directing and producing the whole show kind of gave me a crash course in obs on how to do it and so i decided uh well maybe i can i can start it up entertain myself and some maybe some other people uh during covid it is a lot of fun and definitely CPC are, are staples on Twitch, too. Nobody is better dressed than Paul. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> when the camera's on, he's gone through wardrobe and makeup and everything. Uh, they do a wonderful job. And, of course, Snow I know very well through things like Indisc, Pin Clash, and, and just great competition. And, and we'll talk about some of the other players. And we'll get back to streaming in just a little bit. But the name Pez... This is something that you have been associated with for almost 30 years because you're a big collector of the Pez candies, the the little toys and whatnot. Uh, How did this all start? So I got into high school in 1990 and, uh, you know, just one of those coming of age type of deals. I was thinking about collecting. I I, I think a lot of uh, people were into baseball cards and other items. And then you started hearing about, oh, baseball cards were starting to sell for thousands of dollars if you had the old Mickey Mantle or if you had a error card or a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, which was very rare to find back then. And I thought, well, maybe I can just get into collecting something else and something fun. One of the local stores on my way home had Pez dispensers. Back then they were just a dollar to buy the Pez dispensers. Then I didn't realize how many different ones there were. And every time I'd stop in, they would have maybe another one and another one. I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll start collecting the Pez dispensers. And it just kind of amassed from that. Uh, people at school started noticing that I had different Pez dispensers in my lockers. And it, it just became this snowball effect. People started giving me Pez dispensers for birthdays and Christmas because it was a a cheap thing. And they were like, Oh, we didn't know if you had this one. So we bought it for you. And I was like, well, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but I still appreciated it. This was before the internet. And, you know, there's always that story that eBay was started as kind of a way to buy and sell Pez dispensers, but that wasn't quite the case. It's a good PR story that they put out there, but because of eBay and because of the internet, uh, a lot of collectors started sharing information uh, this was before Pez was actually doing that uh, type of information. They didn't even start their website until the very, very late 90s. And even in, in the early 2000s, there wasn't much up there until they got into commerce. And so 
When I went off to college, I took my collection of Pez dispensers, which wasn't very big at the time, but then I would have one a day, a different Pez dispenser of the day, and people would start asking me, which one are you carrying today? Which one are you carrying today? Like, did you have it as a pocket protector or just kind of peeking out? What? Just about, yeah. Uh, it, 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 somehow I would either have it sticking out my jeans pocket or I'd take <laughs> it out and set it on top of my uh, desk when I would sit down for class and stuff like that. They'd be like, oh, it's the Charlie Brown Pez today, or it's the Scooby-Doo Pez today. Of course, that was when we did have the internet and being able to uh, buy new ones from other places, including other countries. It just opened up this whole world of, oh my gosh, I can buy a Pink Panther set that isn't available here in the United States. And they're more than a dollar at that point when you're getting them off eBay. or Right. When you're getting off eBay, when you're getting off the stores, because then there's a little bit of a shipping. But you're like, boy, they didn't make this Mario set here in America, but it would be sure nice to get it. I could probably float an extra $5 a piece for them, plus another maybe $10 for shipping. This will be a real treat for me. <laughs> so it just kind of snowballed from there. I really admire that kind of passion towards collecting and, and how everyone kind of jumped in and wanted to know more about it and maybe even contribute. eBay did that for me. eBay, when I found out I could get pretty much anything I wanted, you know, buyer beware, of course, it changed <laughs> some of my collections. I had these Simpsons toys, and I think the company was called Playmates, but you'd put a Simpsons character on almost a diorama. And if you put Homer in the living room, he would say different things. If you put him in the nuclear power plant, he would say different things. And you could interchange them with all these dioramas. Let's say the dioramas were $30, $40, and each character was $10. It's the late 90s, and I'm like, I have hundreds of these. Where has all my money gone? You don't notice it at $10 a time. Oh, or, sure. But it was this obsession. I have to have that. And uh, I can see where you kind of fell down that rabbit hole, but it's a fun one too. And I think it's a nice association to have after all of these years, 30 years, Pez Johnson, love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I got out of uh, college and uh, my D Johnson email address, they sent out a memo to me, I think about six months after graduating. And they were like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta find a different way to get your emails because we're going to shut off your access because we can't just keep having everybody have access to the uh, college's storage and stuff like that. So they, they provided some links to the free emails back then. We didn't have Gmail, but we did have Hotmail sure. or we had Yahoo. And so I signed up for a Yahoo account and I was like, well, what, what do I like? What do I want to do? And so i given out everybody my email address, but it's Pez. And then Johnson, and it just kind of goes from there. And every time that there's some kind of social media, I try to grab that one. There's only been a few times that I haven't been able to grab it first. So You're the only Pez on Twitch that I know of, at least doing pinball. At least doing pinball. There's a, there's a few other people. It, it's fun when people pop into the uh, chat room and they'd be like, I collect Pez as well. And I'm like, are you sure? Because your username is PezLord6280 or something <laughs> like that. So. so if you haven't already gathered from hearing Dave talk... Hmm, what a great voice. Yes, a radio guy like myself. We kind of have to bond together, right? We're, I don't say we're a dying breed, but it's, it's a fraternity, if you will. Yeah, it sure is, because uh, there's only a few people who are doing it professionally at any given time. And uh, as much as we would love to you know, have everybody have a job, unfortunately, there's not a job out there. But it's been very fortunate to be able to do it uh, for uh, nearly... 
20 years at the same company. Uh, I've been probably doing it professionally and in college, if you want to add all that up, about 25 years. So it's been a lot of fun. Lots of fun too. And Westwood One, a, a great company in that as well. The Streams. I noticed you two years ago and I noticed a lot of people because of COVID kind of setting up the gear and we've seen a lot of people um, stick with it and some others have kind of drifted away, but you've stuck with it and it's a lot of fun to watch your collection because where we see a lot of newer games, when a new game comes out, everyone's got to stream it and that makes sense. It's exciting. It's new. We're learning. But what I love about your streams, Dave, are the older games and games we don't normally see streamed unless it's in a competition. I think that's one of the things that makes you unique. Well, thank you very much. It kind of goes back to when I bought my first pinball machine, and that was Dealer's Choice. It's an EM from 1974 from Williams, and it was in pretty bad condition. I bought it at an antique store, which the antique store, I think they are the type of place. It's not like little knickknacks or stuff like that. And uh, they had an ad on Craigslist and it was for the pinball machine. And they were like, well, we open up at 10 o'clock tomorrow. We've got a lot of uh, interest in it. So kind of a first come first serve, whoever's got the money for it will show up. And I think it was $250. And the picture of the pinball machine was outside. (laughs) And I was a little bit worried for that. And I got there and I actually got there at, 10 o'clock sharp and I was there before all of the workers showed up and I kind of went to the gate and nobody answered the door and finally another car pulled up and I'm like well here it goes we're gonna have a hot competition for who wants the pinball machine more and he's like can I help you and I'm like well yeah you guys said you open at 10 he's like yeah I'm sorry I got stuck in traffic and I'm like okay well let's 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 talk about this pinball machine how come it's outside and they're like oh we just moved it outside because we wanted to uh, take pictures of it for craigslist I'm like, I sure hope that's not a lie, but okay. So I picked it up. I had to fix it up and uh, it really kind of from the ground up. I like to tell people that we're kind of living in this golden age of pinball and arcade game repairs with all of the videos that are on YouTube, people streaming it on Twitch, people just making the videos and all the information that's available out there. I felt confident enough to give it a go. And luckily I didn't have to do a whole heck of a lot of work on this one. And then the next game I got was about three weeks later. So I went about 42 years of not owning any pinball machines in my lifetime to owning two in three weeks. And then four in the end of 2018. 2019 is what I meant to say. The next Pez collection, here it comes. They just keep growing. I'm kind of surprised on how well they kind of make it into your collection. Uh, Everybody kind of jokes about that. They'll say, oh yeah, we buy one and then it becomes two and it becomes 10. Yeah, it it does. And um, they're a little bit more costly than the Pez and they're probably not, not nearly as readily available and they're not affordable for other people to buy me. Although I'm totally open to those offers. (laughs) But Dave, you mentioned a good thing about these older games and the number of streams or YouTube videos, Marco's Specialties does it usually on Thursdays. All these tech talk tips are available because I don't know how to fix a game, but did you know how to fix it before you saw these tutorials? No, no. And I, and of course, you. the first thing that you do anytime that uh, you see the underneath of a play field, your eyes just start bugging out. You know, I, I get it all the time when I'm repairing other people's machines is that I'll lift the play field and they're like, oh my gosh, how can you tell what's going on? It's like, you can't just by looking at it. But when it comes to these older games, it almost feels like they're a little bit 
more accessible to work on. And again, you, you get those videos from YouTube or you're right. Marco's doing the tech talk on Thursdays. Big shout out to people like Mark's Basement Arcade, Mark Valuk in Wisconsin. He's just making the videos and they're very long form videos, but they're very educational. Joe's Classic Video Games also doing uh, theirs and they've been doing it for years. I've only been watching them for a couple of years and it's like you find information out there because if you've had the problem there's chances that other people have had, had the problem and luckily we're sharing that information but those videos ha have made it way more approachable than it may have been say 10 years ago maybe even five years ago clay from michigan has been doing it for years from the vfw and and that great kind of compound there there are a lot of resources for sure and then of course pinside uh, a good way to ask any questions and have answers almost immediately so it does make it easier i've heard a lot of people say that those single player wedge heads are the easiest machines to repair yeah i'd probably agree with those i have one and when i bought it i bought it at kind of an estate sale a guy was he was affected by COVID, but not, not health-wise, but job-wise. So he was selling off one of his houses. He either had a vacation home in Colorado or a vacation home in Florida. But he was relocating everything, except for the pinball machine, to sunny Florida. And he had bought it a few years before that, looking for a, rest a restoration project. And he never quite got around to it. So sure enough, he gave me Bowling Queen, uh, for $200. Wow. And it had a completely stripped play field. He gave me a pickle jar that had all of the posts and all <laughs> of the screws. And he had bought a whole rubber kit for it, which was nice. I think he had a flipper rebuild kit as well. That's 200 um, bucks right there. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I was just like, well, if nothing else, even if I can't get it working, I probably have a good 200 plus in parts and also the underneath of the play field and all that stuff. And sure enough, it, uh, it took a little bit of work. There were some wires that were snagged and unsoldered and just needed to be corrected. I needed to check continuity between switches and with EM games, there's <laughs> quite a miles of, uh, uh, wires underneath that you have to travel from the cabinet floor to the back box to the play field and all over that like that but if you take a little bit of time and uh, just take a little bit of effort and you can really be able to get through it you're a brave man dave but what i like hearing is that you knew nothing before you started this a few years ago and it was simply those videos and the tips and asking online that you know what you can fix anything okay good lesson to be learned there some of these other older games that I've seen in your collection and watched on stream, you have one of my all-time favorite EMs. It might be my favorite, Old Chicago. It's my favorite too, and it's my favorite for probably a different reason. I like to call it my birthday game because according to the pinball database, it says that it was first manufactured in April of 1976, and I was born in April of 1976. Nice. Yeah, so coming up here on 46 years ago, it was my second pandemic buy and it happened to be up for sale for another guy who was moving out of Colorado during the pandemic. And I think I got it for $600, but it was one of my first working games. I didn't really have to do anything to it to get it going EM wise. Uh, there was maybe just a few stuck switches. The alternator switch wasn't working. So he was never getting the uh other top lane to light and so but he kept on playing it he said he loved it his wife uh didn't want to let it go but they were like we just 
can't move with it to where we're going. And then we're moving back to St. Louis. So, so your center scoop, when it releases the ball, where does it drop it? It goes about two thirds of the way down the right flipper. It is such a favorable eject out of there. And I believe that's exactly how the book suggests it to be, but it's nice where it ejects and you could dead bounce it almost from right to left, back to the right and shoot it right back up there again. Love it. You have to have that patience and I assume your spinner is nice and juicy. I absolutely, especially on that game. So the reason I bring up these older games, I love playing them in competition. And we have an old Chicago in league, and I always look forward to playing that. In fact, I'll go and pick the game if I have an option. What I think some people who don't like the older games don't understand is these type of EM machines are not luck-based. I hear a lot of people say, oh, flip a coin, and it's just so not true. I mean, Roger Sharp proved that years ago, but there are tons of flipper skills required. I mean, the rules certainly aren't there. There are some simple rules, easy to understand, but the flipper skills needed, the nudges, and the accuracy required in these older games prove that it's a game of skill and the better players shine on these games. Yes, I think that's very true. I think there's a little bit of luck every once in a while with some of these older games. Just like old Chicago, having the pop bumpers being right above the outlanes, uh, above the, the flippers. But when you choose old Chicago and you go out of your way to choose old Chicago, do you kind of consider it the great equalizer sometimes? I like that it's five balls. I like that it's an EM machine that... If you miss the skill shot, it doesn't matter, unlike other EM machines where you can't get the ball back up top. And those are my least favorite games. The games where, congratulations, you plunge, you won. Oh, you missed the skill shot? Sorry, you're at a massive disadvantage. That is something I don't I don't like about certain games. Old Chicago, it's really not a difference maker. It's nice to hit the, what is it, 3,003 letters? It depends on how it's set up. You said that you like it on five ball. I actually like to play it on three ball instead. Whoa. I know. And it depends on if the drop targets are set on the liberal or the conservative settings. If you get the 3,000 points or and three Chicago letters, or you just get one Chicago letter if it's set on conservative. And so I actually like to play it on three ball because I think it scores better on three ball. And I always try to you know, get that over the top, as I like to call it, the pinball laundry buzzer. Yeah. Another thing I love about EMs, the sounds. Oh, sure. Um, I have a Captain Fantastic that I'm actually pin sitting. One of our operators here had acquired it and he's like, well, did, did you mind uh, taking it home and uh, maybe do a shop job on it and just see, you know, get it to work. I know one of the flippers is completely busted on it, but I'll buy all the parts and I'll I'll let you work on it. He's like, oh, by the way, it has a solid state upgrade to it. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Wico upgrade uh, solid state soundboards for an EM. It's not an upgrade. No, it wouldn't be. No way. No. It, and it, it sounded like uh, UFO sounds, uh, although it, I was surprised that the tilt bob was wired to it. So it would make a nifty uh, type of sound for the uh, tilt bob. That, that was probably its only clever aspect to it but uh, i took the wico board out and i i bought chimes for it just to make it sound just like it should back in the old em days oh perfect and hopefully the flipper that wasn't working was the upper flipper because you should never use that in <laughs> captain fantastic ever. i use it all the time i'm pretty accurate at hitting those drop targets but i know why people don't like to use it at all you're a brave man <laughs> stay away stay away everybody's got their different skills
You have another game, and I've only played this game once. It used to be at this location I, I play a lot just outside of Toronto at Bluffs. It's called Speakeasy. And I remember enjoying playing that game. It escapes me because it's been so long because of COVID and whatever. That's a fun game. Explain Speakeasy. I'm surprised you've seen another one of these out in the wilds yeah. anytime during your life. <laughs> I didn't know about Speakeasy until I bought it. It came out in 1982. Again, kind of a depressed time of pinball. Anything between, let's say, 1980 to 1984 when Space Shuttle came out was kind of a depressed time. They had made Speakeasy as a two-player game here in the United States. There's a Speakeasy 4 that they actually made for exporting to Italy. And so those are even rarer. But the unique feature of Speakeasy is that it has an all-plastic playfield. It's a molded piece of plastic. It's not plywood. And so the artwork lasts a very long time on it. It, it, it looks like a beautiful game. It's got the roulette wheel that you can spin while you're in-game or when you drain the ball. Uh, it's got the swing-away targets in the middle, which are dangling drop targets that if you come down the play field, the ball will kind of come through them. You won't be able to necessarily see where it's coming from until it's there. Uh, so they're a little bit hidden. Uh, but when you shoot it up the play field and through those targets, the targets swing away and lock into position. And the idea is to collect those in order, in order to add a ball. That was the other unique feature of the game is that they decided to use a feature from the days of pinball that were illegal to award replays and they would award you extra balls in the form of add a ball. They actually put this in a solid state game in 1982 where there was an add a ball for collecting the swing away targets in order for collecting the rollover targets at the top in order. And also on the roulette wheel, there is an add a ball space and there is also a subtractable space on the roulette wheel. So there's an opportunity to go from all the way up to nine extra balls down to negative two balls. And yes, <laughs> if you drain the ball when you're at zero balls left to go, or if you're at one ball left to go and the roulette wheel stops on subtractable, your game is over. I think because it is a rare game and because of that subtractable, you probably don't see it a lot in competitions. The only way that I think that you could probably get away with it being in competition is if you defeated that switch on the roulette wheel to subtract a ball. And then in the settings, you can make the add a ball actually be novelty and give you points rather than there. So th I guess there's a way to do it. But yeah, that subtract a ball is, uh, since it's such a random event, it's not easily added into competition. And another game that you'll see on Pez Johnson on Twitch is Dipsy Doodle. If you like Doodlebug, Dipsy Doodle, that's a must-have for sure. You know, it's strange. That one's not mine. Uh, that's another one that I'm pin-sitting. Uh, one of our local uh, pinball collectors here saw it online, and he actually asked me to do the transaction for him. Rob, if you're listening, I appreciate the opportunity for doing this. Laserlose on Twitch, he was playing a lot of Doodlebug, which a lot of people were watching him do it, and he was trying to get the very elusive 10K a doodle. And he did it. He did it. He just did it recently, too, again. And it, it's amazing when, when you do it. Dipsy Doodle does not have that feature, by the way. It changes the rules of the game. But Rob saw it, and since he was loving watching Laserlose do the doodle bug, and Dipsy Doodle came up for sale, he was like, I would really like to have the game. 
I don't necessarily have the room or the way of transporting right now. And he asked me if I could take it home, make sure everything is working on it, uh, maybe clean it up a little bit for him. And then when he gets his Rush Premium, which hopefully will be very soon, he will know he will have room for Dipsy Doodle. So it'll be leaving our house eventually. But it's been a lot of fun being able to figure out why the Doodle Bug wasn't doodling correctly. Uh, again, it was a switch that was a little bit too closely adjusted. Uh, and going through the troubleshooting steps of that, that was a lot of fun. And ordering a couple of parts just to make sure that it was in great working condition. It's been a lot of fun to have, and I'm going to be sad when it actually leaves the house. You still have a fine collection, and you're not alone in Colorado. There's something I've noticed about incredible players from your state. In fact, Tim Sexton had my favorite line at Indisc. I think it was Walt Wood playing a game, <laughs> and he was blowing it up, and he said on stream, he goes, how does the machine know he's from Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that there are so many great players from Colorado. We saw, obviously, Zach McCarthy win it all. We certainly know about Escher and Adam Lefkoff. You mentioned Snow Galvin. Uh, Donovan Steps, another great player. Heliana Wiggins as well. Ryan Wanger, Walt Wood, we just said. Jordan Deshane, I learned a lot about recently. What is it about the Colorado players? Is it because there are so many locations? And there are a lot. There's one-ups. There's uh, Blizzard Mountain where you go, Lions Classic, uh, even Colorado Pinball Club. What is it about Colorado? I do think that it is the amount of locations. And I think we have really great people here as well. We have a very welcoming community. You know, one of the first times that I saw Heliana and also Donovan Stepp and even Escher and Adam Levkoff was the uh, special when lit 2012 movie. And, you know, Donovan was in the end competition there and I now know him <laughs> and he's been very welcoming now that he's not just a player, but he's also operating games at uh, the locations of the one-ups that he's able to operate at. And then Lions classic pinball, uh, I think gave us the first type of, hey, let's have this business model of having our own personal collection open to the public. We'll have it at this uh, excellent space that's kind of hidden in a small town that you have to travel to get to. But once you get there, it's, it's like the Garden of Eden for pinball. They've got a great collection up there. Yeah, Ryan Wanger's operating there now at Lions, and we all know Ryan from Comet Pinball, so it's nice that he's all things pinball, and uh, I really have to get to Lions for sure. But Colorado Pinball Pub, that's one of the newer ones, and these poor guys, they opened up basically right before COVID started and even had to shut down, so uh, they're doing well? Yeah, they are doing well. They were, open, they were able to open just a few months later, of course, with uh, certain restrictions. They were doing an hourly play. They were sectioning off games to try to promote social distancing. And they have really great food and a lot of fine beers on tap. I'm mainly there for the pinball, but Dan and Holly Nikolic are also the ones who uh, have put on the Rocky Mountain Pinball Showdown and Game Room Expo over the past, I believe they've done it 14 times over the last 16 years. They had, had to take a year off because of COVID. But yeah, we've got some really great locations. And again, we have very welcoming people. Welcoming people, I saw that firsthand. My first ever pinball profile road trip, which gave me the idea for the world tour, was actually in Denver at 1UP. It was a Sunday night. Snow helped me out there. Ryan Wanger and, and so many people showed up. Ileana, Donovan, 
loved the turnout, but realized very quickly, holy cow, are there so many good players. I think there were 33. I finished 28th. And I'm not a bad player. <laughs> they kicked my butt. And I thought, okay, I'm never coming to this state again. And in well, fact, if I lived there, I'd be like, okay, family, we're moving. Sorry, kids. I know you got friends and family and, and roots here, but pinball's too tough. We're finding another state. I don't know. Can we uh, also factor in the altitude? I don't know if that uh, <laughs> provides any uh, advantage uh, towards us. It might. Um, <laughs> it, I, I do have to uh, recall a, uh, a tournament at Blizzard Mountain Pinball. This was after the uh, that IFPA, uh, North American Championship. Blizzard Mountain Pinball had opened their doors to the folks who didn't quite qualify for the second day of Pinmasters to come up for a tournament there. And then they had their regular Sunday night flipper frenzy tournament and Robert Byers and Steve Bowden and myself and one of our other local players, Mark Abbott were uh, in the top four. Mark took first and I took second. So I think the, uh, we had maybe home field advantage. Of course, Blizzard Mountain Pinball is not just a mile high. It's almost a mile and a third high. It's about 8,000 feet up above sea level. So it's even higher than Denver. And then, of course, there's Dory Hill, which uh, a lot of people who've been to that event certainly praise the uniqueness that is Dory Hill. Where else can you play pinball while you're also camping outdoors and having a great time with so many great people? And a lot of people come out from uh, out of state. I was able to help out at Dory Hill for the first time this year. And that's actually what I really enjoy doing. I really like helping out on these uh, tournaments to make sure that they go well and and any of these other type of events. It's almost like I like to try to be as helpful as I can to make sure everybody else has a good time. Pinball and camping and fun times, that's glamping. That's Let's call it for what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, we do have power outlets at all the cabins that the uh, pinball machines are sitting on the porches of the cabins. Hey, I'm everybody, in. I love it. it yeah, it, it, it's been a lot of fun. And uh it is quite a unique event, and if we had more open uh, spots, I would invite everybody to come for it. Well, I know every time I talk about Dory Hill, I get people saying, shh, don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> it's, it doesn't exist, but... Best kept secret that everybody's saying. <laughs> exactly. A lot of great locations in Colorado, but you were able to escape and get to Wisconsin. I'm going there next month. Tell us about your time at District 82, and you must have loved the mix of old and new. Yeah, what a great uh, facility that Eric has going up there. I uh, was invited to the Midwest Gaming Classic, which was held in November of last year. And I kind of made it a pinball tour of Wisconsin and took a trip up to De Pere, Wisconsin, which is up by Green Bay, which is two hours north of Milwaukee, which is where I was staying with my sister who lives there. It's nice to be able to do some traveling when relatives live in that city that you're going to be going to, then you get to uh, uh, maybe stretch your traveling dollar just a little bit. But went up there and uh, participated in Eric's Friday night free tournament, placed third all overall. So I was like, oh, I got to come back. And then when the uh, February 2X tournament, winter tournament signups were, uh, again, Carlos had suggested that I sign up for it. And I got in there and I was just like, oh, I guess I have to, arranged travel information, got up there and uh, had a great time. And so many great players also came to that one because of its location, probably its proximity to Chicago, invited a lot of those people to come up. But that facility that he has, all of those games, 100 plus games in great working condition, 
Had a blast, even though I didn't do so well on Friday. Saturday tournament, I came in 19th out of 100 players, so I can't say that I did all that bad. That's good with that field, for sure. For sure. And then uh, there was even an, an evening tournament on Saturday, which I did fairly okay on. But meeting the people, having a lot of fun, I even decided to uh, bring my own gift to hopefully bring a smile to people's faces. I uh, brought it uh, 100 Pez dispensers to give out to the people who were playing. So You're the man. Well done, <laughs> Pez. I love it. Well, like I say, I try to help out. I try to make it fun for other people because if we all have fun, then I think more people have fun. You can catch some of this fun. When can we see you on Twitch? Right now, I am uh, following Colorado Pinball Collective on Wednesdays and Friday nights. They usually start at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, and then I start about 11 p.m. Mountain Time. I usually start the stream whether they're finished or not, and then... They're nice enough to send their fine folks over to me. It's kind of like the Colorado Twitch block on Wednesdays <laughs> and Friday nights. And then I was doing EM Monday, and that was at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time on Mondays. But uh, I kind of put that one on hiatus because Blizzard Mountain Pinball had uh, started up their league again on Monday. So I'm trying to get into that again as soon as I can. Maybe occasionally we'll pop up an extra non-solid state Saturday or non-solid state Sunday. So if you're subscribed or if you're uh, following, you'll get the notifications. Dave, have we had any uh, more playfield glass breaks since uh, <laughs> way back in November? No, we're uh, working on uh, just over about a year and a half of uh, days without incidents. <laughs> Of course, I'm talking about the time that I was had only been streaming on Twitch for, let's say, six months at the time. This is World Cup, the 1978 version from Williams that has the two kickout saucers on either side, and one wasn't registering. So I was like, okay, really quickly, guys, I had just started the stream about 18 minutes into it. And I was like, guys, real quick, I'm just going to clean up the switch. And I took the glass off. And in the basement, it's kind of dark while I'm streaming. That's not right in front of the pinball machine. And I'm pretty sure that I set it down on a pad. But maybe it touched a little bit of the rough concrete. And it shattered right in my face. Right in front of Bowling Queen. And it was caught all on stream. And about two months later, uh, one of our viewers had actually taken that clip and uploaded it to Reddit to the live stream fails. <laughs> and it caught about 15,000 views. If you look on the pinball category on Twitch, in the clips uh, section of Twitch, it is the most watched clip of all of pinball. And it was one of those things. So uh, when people see me nowadays, they will do the ta-da, because that's all I could do. The glass shattered in my face, and I kind of looked at myself, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I walked back on camera, and I said, ta-da, with arms outstretched. Infamous. Well done. <laughs> I will talk to you next, I guess, on Twitch, and I appreciate you coming on the program today. Jeff, I really appreciate the work that you're doing, and I, it's an honor to be invited to do this. Pleasure's all mine. Dave Johnson, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Check out our Facebook group as well. And email pinballprofile at gmail.com. I'm Jeff Teolis. Make my